Let us contemplate the night of the Buddha's awakening. There is happiness which leads to happiness. On the night that he's about to attain enlightenment, he attains samadhi, the jhana. He's suspicious about anything that's pleasurable just because of the people he's just previously been hanging around with. A whole misunderstanding in India, uh, wariness among spiritual practitioners about natures of pleasure or happiness. They're presuming that pain will lead to happiness. And he is rejecting that idea. And he is saying this pleasure, this happiness is blameless, not to be feared. And then it does lead him to further happiness. It actually leads him to enlightenment. And we do have to remember that he doesn't know about enlightenment before he's enlightened. That's the nature of being a Buddha. There are no teachers. He's self-enlightened. Nobody on the planet at that time is enlightened. He's never met an enlightened person. And he doesn't know about that. So how's he getting there? He's getting there through samadhi. His practice is samadhi. And out of samadhi, the knowledge arises, wisdom arises, light arises. And this is you'll see this in the first sutta, the turning of the wheel, this kind of series of language that out of his experience that light arose, knowledge arose, freedom arose. But it's not something that he knew about ahead of time. He was just, he took this path and then he turned the corner and what he describes as a city was there. The lost city of Nibbana. Please don't literalize that. <laughs> it's a metaphor. It's a simile. It's not a city. <laughs> but you have to use this kind of language to describe things. So just see the absolute value of this this factor of the path. It was beautiful. He said it's a wonderful and beautiful thing and nothing to fear and that it leads in that direction. And for you who have the advantage of having heard that there is such a thing as enlightenment, enlightenment being irreversible freedom. There are stages of enlightenment. All of them are irreversible. Some of them partake of some temporary distress at times, and others are stainless and secure. The higher stages are without emotional distress. The lower stages have some, but it's minimal. The Buddha talks about Sotapanna, the first stage of enlightenment, when he says, there is some suffering left for the one who tains the first stage of enlightenment. And he says, O monks, which is greater, the amount of dirt that is on my little fingernail here or the amount that's on the planet? It's one of those easy questions. Most of the monks got it right. They said, I think, venerable, <laughs> and my humble opinion is that the amount of dirt on the planet is greater than on your little fingernail. Just so, monks, we all get an A 
probably thinking, it wasn't a trap. (laughs) (laughs) So he says, that amount on my little fingernail is the amount of suffering left for the sotapanna compared to what is left for one who is wandering in samsara without vision. That is the same as the amount of dirt on the planet. You can get very, very, very lost. The Sotapanna still has a tiny bit of um, distress at times, you know, but it's just so small compared to how bad it really can get in human existence and beyond human existence. So these factors of jhana also, they overlap almost indistinguishably from the factors that arise in the enlightened mind. When you look at just the last two factors of the Eightfold Path, right, mindfulness and right samadhi, you will find Basically, you can extrapolate all of the factors of enlightenment, the seven factors of enlightenment. You can see the same kind of order of structures there. In fact, what is the first factor of the seven factors of enlightenment? Mindfulness, which is the seventh factor. Then investigation of Dhamma, which is also a function of mindfulness. And what is it that gets you to the samadhi? It's mindfulness. Mindfulness is the factor that crosses over. It takes its instructions from right energy, right effort, and is told you're going to use right mindfulness to eliminate and overcome the five hindrances, summarized as covetousness and grief for the world. Just to the extent necessary, to overcome covetousness and grief for the world. That is, on each structure of mindfulness, of the body, feelings, mind, and dhamma, uh, dhamma categories, just to the extent necessary for overcoming the hindrances. And mindfulness is going to get you to the doorstep of samadhi. And it's going to remain in samadhi. So one of the factors in samadhi not listed as one of the five factors of the first jhana, but uh, all, which is maintained throughout all of the four jhanas, is mindfulness. So mindfulness is a purified form of mindfulness. It has done its work. It has kept out the alien invaders, uh, uh, which are misrepresenting reality to you, distorting your perceptions, and it has allowed you to enter into this state of more or less temporary enlightenment. And so the factors of enlightenment are there. So you have energy and joy, tranquility, and then specifically samadhi. Samadhi is the sixth factor of the seven factors of enlightenment. Samadhi meaning the jhanas. And the seventh factor is equanimity, which is the characteristic emotional condition of the fourth jhana. So the seventh factor 
is equanimity, upeka. It's also the characteristic of the fourth jhana. So you see that this uh, is really just the seven factors are kind of a like a magnifying glass over the end of the path. You're starting to see that the jhana factors are kind of being articulated. There's really two ways of talking about the same thing. The jhana factors are kind of emulating what arises in the mind and it just has to be enough uh, conditions put in there that it, it's, it becomes an irreversible state of knowledge and awareness. It's possible that a person who is a sotapanna sometimes cannot attain jhana. They're not always able to uh, generate the, the right structures. And sometimes they get stuck also at the first stage of enlightenment. The Buddha talks about being um, not able to progress. So he has people coming to him that have attained the first stage and the second stage of enlightenment, and they kind of get stuck there. And since they've, they've already understood the Dhamma, why are they stuck? One of the things he advises them to do is also is to reflect again and again, what, what is it that you saw? What was your understanding? Go over and recover that. And the nature of any of those stages of enlightenment is that you can do that. You are able to recover your understanding. There are types of uh, understanding that come up in our lives that we, we have for a while, but then we lose it and we can't quite remember what it was that we saw so clearly that was so transformative. We can lose things like that. But what is his advice about how to push on? It's mostly the practice of samadhi, jhana practice. So he talks particularly between the second and third stage of enlightenment is that how you move on from the stage. You can get trapped there for years or decades or lifetimes even. There's got to be more practice in the strengthening of the mind through samadhi practice. That's what's preventing the deeper samyojanas, the, the latent hindrances, have not been snapped, and they can't be snapped. They're too strong. They need more samadhi, which samadhi is like rain, sunshine, wind on a rope. The rope is too strong. The hindrances are too strong. They need to have more attrition of each fiber in order to fall away. And samadhi does not exclude reflection. So in the first jhana, a number of things can be reflected on. You can focus on the nature of the body. You can focus on the nature of the Buddha, the Dhamma, the Sangha, and while you're doing that, the jhana factors can arise. You can have great joy and pleasure in the body as well. And strangely enough, even corpse meditation, contemplation. Corpse contemplation is not supposed to be a horrifying experience. If 
you can actually attain jhana with that. So you can be in a state of joy and ease while you're actually either with a corpse <laughs> or visualizing a corpse. So you can do that exercise of uh, corpse meditation as an imaginative exercise as well. So it is absorption and deep interest, which is accompanied by joy and ease and pleasure throughout the body. And you can see that it allows some discursive activity. Some of those types of meditations have discursive activity, and you can they say that that is equivalent to the first jhana. When we use breath meditation, it's really it's it's really bypassing the first jhana because the first jhana has vitaka and vichara, which is really translated as thinking and pondering or applied and sustained thought. Vitaka really means thought. With the breath, there's nothing to think about. So it kind of bypasses the discursive type of meditation. That's why it's really very suitable for samadhi. Loving kindness or any of the Brahma Viharas, the four Brahma Viharas, loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity, you can access jhana through those, but you can begin by thinking and pondering, bringing objects into your mind, which allow you to have this feeling of loving kindness, compassion, sympathetic joy, and equanimity. And then to move deeper, you have to let go of those particular objects and you just stay with the feeling. But the breath skips over that. There's really nothing to think about. So you're, it's much more prone to go to a, maybe the second jhana. What is jhana? What is samadhi? What's its place in the path? There's a lot of spin around samadhi. There's a strange development through the later commentaries that tend to distort things including this idea that there are stages where the population of the planet sort of declines and can't do things that they used to be able to do. You know, the go this, this is in Greek uh, theories as well, the Golden Age and the Silver Age and the Bronze Age and the, et cetera, Iron Age. That is probably a self-fulfilling prophecy. And you find that whole countries get sucked into that. Whole religious cultures get it. They, you can, you can see that in, in Christianity and Hinduism as well. That's not really uh, very Buddhist. <laughs> how, how would that happen? You can see times in history where things seem to blossom. Like Germany in the 18th and 19th century, you know, they produced all these great composers incredible music, Bach and Mozart and Brahms and Beethoven. And incredible. And a fairly small population, and you know, just a few hundred miles around an area, just like proliferation. But it doesn't mean that people can't do that anymore. It just means that there was a lot of encouragement and support. It was in the air. It was available. 
they heard each other, they inspired each other, etc. So, yes, when social situations decline, for instance, in Sri Lanka, for about 400 years, they had just continuous invasions. The Portuguese and the Dutch and the British and invasions from India as well. So the whole society was fragmented and so forth. The, the actual, both the monks and the nuns' orders died out during that time. They had to restore the monastic orders by bringing monks from Thailand and Burma because there were no monks left. That's how fragmented and disorderly things can get. And you can imagine there wasn't much opportunity for practicing <laughs> jhanas or enlightenment. So kind of a pervasive feeling in Sri Lanka was that, that the age of enlightenment is over, the age of practice is over. It's just the experience of being invaded and colonized and so forth. It's, it's a projection onto things. So in a way, we do have good conditions now. We do have access to the entire Tapitaka. And by the way, we don't need access to the entire Tapitaka. Most of the good information, well, all of the good information on jhanas is in the suttas. And there's plenty of it. And it's not all that complicated. So the information is available, but, you know, you need somebody who's lived that life for an extended period of time to make sure that you get it in the right context so that you apply it right. So you, you go to different Buddhist schools and so forth, you get different spins on these things. And of course, the psychological community and the philosophical community and uh, the yoga community and everything is also borrowing without giving credit <laughs> from Buddhism. And you'll, this is in the air, it's in articles, in magazines, and so forth, and you get all these ideas about paying attention, and this, what are you supposed to, why are you supposed to pay attention, how this, and these are all little things that may be floating around in your mind, so it's good to have a cohesive sense. What do the suttas say? This is the source. And the suttas are very optimistic about the opportunity for a human to do these things, but we do need to know what the preliminaries are and to put those causes in and to be assured that it's a very beautiful and above normal quality of well-being and happiness and it changes the way you think about everything. It changes the way you feel about everything. But there are, you know, the warnings. This is something that is delicate. It's like walking on newly seeded grass, when these potentials are starting to be developed in you, you, you need to be very careful with them and to sustain them over periods of time and to hear about it so you don't have doubts about what were the instructions again. Of course, the, the beauty of recording is that you can go back and hear it any time. That is a, an amazing advantage to how it used to be. So... When we, and we have to in, sometimes have dry periods or, you know, periods where it, it's not coming together. That's all right. It's not dangerous. Nothing serious. A little bit of dullness or boredom or something in a retreat is, is really nothing compared to the 
possibilities of coming into contact with this type of change of consciousness. Taking a few weeks of our lives off and putting ourselves in a special situation and staying with it is a small, very small price to pay for the possibilities of this. When we think of what uh, the kind of resources that people use to go to a spa or something like this, well, you might come back feeling better, but um, it won't last. <laughs> this is something which has great potential. And from a karmic point of view, if you even lapse into or you spill into the jhanic consciousness for even a small bit of time, that is not lost and it can re-arise. It has a lot of power to it. Some of the circuits have been reshaped and it can rise at certain moments in your life and especially so, they say, at the time of death. And it can be transformative of consciousness at the time of death. If you have had a profound experience, it can, it can come back and your mind can be transported by that. So it has many, many uh, beautiful possibilities. The similes are one of the best ways to understand, and of course, for the first jhana, this beautiful one of the bath attendant or his apprentice. So they are making soap. They had uh, spa attendants, so you went to the spa, and the, they had powdered soap, and you had to pour a little bit of water into it, and you had to knead it, as in kneading bread. Not kneading, but kneading, <laughs> with a K. <laughs> and there's a skill and an art to this, and you have to saturate the powder, and it's probably a mixture of clay and perfumes. It's kind of like good French soap, this the kind of clay soap. So. It has to be worked in, and the Buddha describes it as a skilled bathman or his apprentice works it in until it is permeating all aspects of this ball of soap, but not, not oozing, not going outside. So that's a simile for the body. This uh, PT and sukha will be spread throughout your entire body. The container will be your body. The mind will be the... And you, you, you do this. You can see that this is an action. You're actually massaging it into your entire mind and body. It's permeating your entire body. And you're actually interested and actively interested in doing that. So it's not like... A bathman comes along, pours water in, and watches it all permeate. And so they don't watch it. They massage it in. They work it. They make it. They, they're, it's more like bread. I guess it's more understandable. We're having nice homemade bread here. And so might have a seminar where we all stand around and watch Kush massage the dough, 
just the right amount of moisture. You don't want it too wet, but it's got to be all through, as I understand it. I've actually never made bread myself, but as I understand it, it's the consistency and the, the time and etc. So this is an art, and we have to do this, and it is it's an active thing. It's a proactive thing. It's not just something that we sit back. But the right conditions have to have been laid down. Otherwise, you're, you know, you have, you can't get the wrong soap. <laughs> and if there's no water, <laughs> so the right soap, the right ingredients are arranged, and then there's the skill of putting them together. So your preliminaries for this is sense restraint, uh, sila, your virtue. So we're in a place where it's very easy to be virtuous. It's hard to really be unvirtuous here. There's not really many ways to get in trouble. <laughs> so that's a precondition. And then sense restraint. So it's a low sensory environment, so it's easy to, again, those are conditions. Then have you heard the instructions? And then have you clarified them in your mind? And the next one is, have you removed the hindrances? Have you, in other words, are you aware of your thought processes? Are you drifting into worldly entanglements? Even though you're in a simple, spacious, low sensory environment, if you're in your mind, if you're in your memories and uh, have, replaying old difficult things or, or sensory stuff, then that's going to be an impediment to the possibilities of jhana. So those, those are the preliminaries, and that's the arrangement of, you, you have this, the plate, the, the structure, the soap powder, the water, all of these things, and then you use the skill to put those things together and develop them. Until they're really, you're really uh, completely saturated with this. So this is a beautiful thing. Is it's all you have to do for the this whole retreat is is to explore that possibility. You know, this is the spa for the mind. So you really can't. People who go to spas, they they're on the right track, but it's really uh, there's only so much you can get by somebody else manipulating your muscles for you. This is the spa for the mind that. Uh, it's for the heart, really. It's, it's for the emotions, a reworking of all these things. And bringing up other similes during their retreat as well, because they're the most beautiful invitations. It's the, really the only way to understand the jhanas. When you get a dry kind of list of factors, energy, joy, and... Mm, one-pointedness and all this kind of stuff. It's, it's one thing, but the Buddha understands that the picture, a simile is a picture. And notice again that it's a picture from things that you, that you can have experienced in your life. This has to refer to events that you have experienced in your life so that you have some sense of what, what is this that we're trying to do here? I must have 
done something like this in my life. And that's very important that I can refer to that experience. So the Buddha is brilliant with these similes and they're great images to help you in these jhanas. Now, the first jhana is, is a remarkable achievement. Second jhana is a remarkable achievement. If one uh, never went beyond that, you would already be in a very small, tiny percentage of the population of the planet. A lot of them on the planet could do this, but they've never heard of this stuff. Never. So if you get anywhere near this, it's a beautiful thing. And I would hope that you appreciate just how righteous it is and you've all lived. So you probably are aware of how bad it can be. <laughs> I mean, how bad it can be for a human. With a improper direction of the mind, with ignorance and untrained mind that is riddled with the hindrances, it's pretty unspeakable how bad that can be. So to just be in the kind of normal range is already quite a blessing, but to even verge on this where the, the hindrances have subsided and there's joy and ease, that you really need to understand how remarkable that is and how you'd think that's not so unusual, but it is. It is. The Buddha has a great insight into it. He doesn't have to do large-scale sociological studies. He seems to understand the nature of human minds. He just has an insight into how it works, the mind. So, yes, if we even verge on this, if we're in the neighborhood of it, if we're close, if we have a few moments of that, that's, that's a very tiny portion of the population, you know, that gets that. So we, we want to cherish this. And appreciate it. And even, you can get jhana just reflecting on the fact of hearing the teachings about jhana. Like, it's incredibly, I just, uh, every now and then I think, what would have happened to me if I'd never heard this stuff? <laughs> what life, how, what would, how would life have unfolded if I'd never come across this stuff. So every now and then I, I think, good fortune, very, very good fortune. And when I'm thinking that was good fortune, I just, I, here's a kind of little shiver goes through, through me. So there's a little flow of these beautiful factors, just thinking about how many benefits there are to having heard this and how much pain you have avoided by redirecting your life in a systematic way. So all of these things are ways to, to uplift your heart and uh, put you in the right frame of mind for the development of these and appreciation of these things. So I'll leave that for your not for your reflection, for your 
for your cheer. <laughs> at the end of the talks, Buddha, the Buddha, when at the end of the suttas, they often describe that the Buddha had gladdened and cheered the people who had come to see him. Had not left it for the reflection, but had uplifted their emotional. They felt cheered up and gladdened by the the whole experience. And I hope that <laughs> it's very nice that you're you have some dry reflections to do, but. But I hope that you just feel better, that's all. <laughs>